Hello and welcome to the Psalmcast. This is Michael Bautursa, and I'd like to welcome you to this podcast where we're journeying through the book of Psalms as part of Thrive Harbor's sermon series on praying the Psalms. For thousands and thousands of years, the Psalms have been the book that the people of God have turned to in order to learn how to pray. And so throughout the week, I'll be posting a short reflection on a psalm so that it might be a springboard for you to go and pray that psalm yourself. So this morning, I'd like to start by taking a look at the very first psalm in the Psalter, which is Psalm 1. And I think it's no accident that this psalm appears first. This is the entrance to the entire Psalter. You know, many have noticed that the psalms are arranged deliberately. In many cases, there are groups of psalms that seem to obviously go together. Uh, one example of that would be Psalms 105 through 107, which tell the story of Israel. Or there's the famous collection called the Psalms of Ascent, which run from Psalms 120 to Psalm 134. And one of the noteworthy facets about the arrangement of the Psalms is that, that many people have observed that the Psalm book moves from prayer to praise. The beginning of the Psalms are filled with these prayers that are rich, heartfelt Psalms that cry out to God in times of need, of conviction or struggle. But it's really significant that when you come to the very end of the Psalter, so for example, Psalms 145 through 150, they've become these exultant hymns of praise. And so what that means is that reading through the Psalms is a little bit like going on a journey. They're meant to shape your heart so that you, yourself, go on a journey that takes your heart from prayer to praise. And Psalm 1 is the start of that journey. And it's the start of that journey because it's a guide to how to read the entire Psalm book. So look at this. What Psalm 1 does is it gives you in the first three verses a description of the righteous person, the kind of person that you need to be in order to read the Psalms properly. And then in the verses after that, it contrasts that with a description of the wicked person. So let me read it here. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So just a couple quick observations here. First of all, notice that the, this psalm says that the righteous person is countercultural. So in verse 1, it opens with three negatives. It says the righteous person does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the way of sinners, and does not sit in the seat of mockers. If you were to break these down, I think the counsel of the wicked could potentially speak of the people you surround yourself with. The way of sinners might speak of your conduct, your morals, the way you live your life. And then the seed of mockers might well speak of your heart posture, whether you approach life in humility or in pride. And the righteous person is called to say no to these things. He, he or she is called to be a countercultural person. And of course, being countercultural is itself countercultural, especially in a culture like ours that says that what we're meant to do with our short little lives is to pursue our own fulfillment and to say yes to any desire that we have. But the Bible which is a little shrewder than we are sometimes, can, it recognizes that we have a sin nature and that we're called to say no to the things which are not of God. And this is exactly what Paul writes in Titus chapter 2, where he says the grace of God has appeared and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness rather than yes, which is what our culture would have us do. 
So the righteous person is countercultural. Second observation, the righteous person delights in God's word and constantly meditates on it. And that's the, 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 the theme of verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but it's worth noting that one of the hallmarks of a Christian is that someone who follows Jesus is rooted in Scripture. Third observation, the righteous person bears fruit. This is in verse 3 where it says, The righteous person is like a stream planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, it's interesting that there's a mention of seasons here. You know, when you think about seasons, some seasons are, are more or less fruitful than others. Uh, that's certainly how it works in, in nature. And, and yet, we're told here that, that even despite the fact that, that fruit-bearing might have seasons, that the righteous person's leaf, so to speak, does not wither, and that there's a stability and a steadfastness in all seasons that I think actually stems from uh, the, the, the rootedness in Scripture from verse 2. The image here is of a tree planted by streams of water. It's as though there's a constant source of watering for that tree that sustains it in all seasons. And I think that that points to the Word of God, which oftentimes is compared to water in Scripture. The other thing about the seasons noted here is that this actually highlights the way that fruit bearing oftentimes is accompanied by pressure. Let me read you a comment from a commentator named John Goldengay. He says, The expression in season hints at the fact that the fruit bearing season is also the one that brings the most pressure. The summer sun is both essential to the ripening of fruit and also threatening because it may make fruit and foliage wither. And this is just so fascinating to me, fruit bearing coming in times of pressure. And I think if you look at church history and you see the way that persecution has oftentimes been the best moments for the church, I think you see the truth of that borne out. And then finally, there's a contrast with the wicked. So in verse 4, uh, the, the psalm says that the wicked are like chaff that the wind blows away. And, and the metaphor here of wheat and chaff is oftentimes found in scripture. Wheat would be gathered together and harvested, but chaff would have been beaten out and scattered in the wind. It was the worthless part of the harvest that you didn't want. What's interesting here is that the the righteous, which are compared um, oftentimes in scripture to wheat, they're said to have an assembly. They, they gather together, whereas the wicked are scattered. They're blown away, which is a hint, I think, that the foundation of lasting human community is ultimately found in Christ. And these days, when you look around at the disunity of a world and moral chaos like ours, I think you can see the point a little more easily. So there's Psalm 1. And I think, to me, one of the things that grabs me most in this psalm is just this point earlier on about the Word of God being rooted in Scripture. You know, many people have said that cultural Christianity is dying away, that in a real way there actually is a kind of sifting going on right now, and that as there's no more cultural incentive to be a believer, nominal Christianity is being weeded out. What this psalm says is that the one that one of the marks that distinguishes the righteous person from the wicked person is whether or not they're rooted in God's word. I have a copy here in front of me of the journals of Jim Elliot. Uh, you might have heard of him before. He was a, a guy who was martyred in his late 20s with a number of other young men uh, as a missionary. And his life and faith made a greater impact on other people in his generation than almost any other young man from that era that, that I'm aware of. And one of the secrets of Jim Elliot's dynamic faith, and I believe one of the reasons why God used him was that he was a man who was rooted in scripture. I mean, no one knew his Bible like Jim Elliot did. 
And if you read through his journals, they're filled with profound daily reflections on scripture. He read it, he loved it, and he wrestled with it. And we're called to do the same thing. So I'd encourage you with some of these thoughts in mind to take this psalm and pray it today. You know, consider maybe doing a spiritual frisk, so to speak, and and talking to God about whether your life looks like the kind of countercultural life that Psalm 1 talks about. Or you might thank him for the gift of scripture and and pray about being more thoroughly rooted and grounded in it. So there are some thoughts for you from Psalm 1. Thank you for tuning in to the Psalmcast and stay tuned for more in days ahead.